Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but we take part ourselves. And I'm Carrie Poppy, and today we are talking about my tonsillectomy. I was wondering why you had that sly grin on your face as you... <laughs> I was waiting for you to say I'm Ross Blotter, and you did it. But this is my text-to-speech app that I've been using for... Three you, weeks. There's a lot of text in there. Oh, my God. And that's all been converted to speech? Yep. I have some greatest hits on here, the ones that are starred, because I had to keep saying them to people, like... Yeah, give me some of your best hits. Hi, I have my tonsils removed and can't speak. Mm-hmm. That was one. Hi, babe. Hi, babe. That's for Drew. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which app is this? Text to speech. Ooh, brilliantly named. Also? That's a pun. That's a pun. That's a pun, okay. Um, Thank you for asking. <laughs> Okie dokie. Oh, nice. And I think you'll find this very interesting. Is this something where you need to every now and then fake it into saying the right thing by typing the wrong thing? No, it's actually pretty smart that way. Okay. There's been one or two where I've had to sort of write a phonetic version instead. Can I call that Stephanie Hawking? You can. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a similar technology. Sure. I would assume. Text-to-speech. It's good stuff. Was he texting or was he using... Oh, goodness. Over time, he lost control of the various things he used to be able to tap. Stephen Hawking, the great scientist who had ALS, yeah. Right, and vastly exceeded the years on planet Mm -hmm. Earth that he was expected to live initially. But yeah, originally he had kind of like a joystick he could move around, but then over time it came down to just like one muscle in his face. Okay, yeah, I thought it was something like that. That he could use to kind of like move a cursor and then choose when it stopped. Gosh, incredible. Yeah, it really um, is. Okay, but also equally important to that, here's something that I needed to say to Drew. Often enough that I started. Oh no, is this about gas? Yes. You are the inky stink goodbye. You are the inky stink goodbye. Because <laughs> I call him the inky stink and then he'll say, no, it is you who is the inky stink. So you want to end the conversation as quickly <laughs> as you can. Well, then it became a reference to the weakest link. So I say, you are the inky stink goodbye. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, my wh- voice is back. Right. Okay. Why have you been needing this, Carrie? Because- Oh, right. I had a tonsillectomy. So if you caught us last week, we were talking about our various oral surgeries. Mm-hmm. I had my wisdom teeth removed. I was still pretty fresh out of that when we recorded our last episode. Check it out, people. I can happily report that that hole that I had, that cavity oh, yes. that was going up Into to my sinus. sinus, that patched up. Phew. I think it was already on its way when we recorded, but I'd say it took about four days. And then it did naturally go away. But yeah, that was a little worrisome. And uh, yeah, it feels like everything's kind of healed up properly. So I am now uh, with much less wisdom. I still have one deeply (laughs) embedded in my lower jaw. These were the two top ones I had removed. And years ago, I had the other lower one removed after... I'd already had my braces removed. I Mm -hmm. I had braces as a kid. Yeah. And then the wisdom teeth came in. I don't know why they didn't get rid of them earlier. And they 
pushed my lower teeth around. So now I have this one tooth that's out of alignment. Oh, you might be an Invisalign candidate like me. Probably. I also have had my wisdom teeth out. I think they're all out. I mean, I definitely got four out, but I know some people have extra. Yes. My niece had Mm -hmm. six wisdom Mm -hmm. teeth. Mm -hmm. And I just talked with someone else recently who had six wisdom teeth. I think Drew has an extra one that they were like, you don't need to do anything about this, I think. But I had mine out and three of the four they had to dig out of the bone. They were impacted so hard. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. My remaining one is, and you can see on the x-ray we shared as an image with the episode, it is part of my jaw now. And it's just barely touching the edge of any other teeth, and it's under the surface. So they'd have to really dig and go after it, and there's really no point. Oh, okay. Um, I think mine was in that position, but there was a point to do it. So they did it. Which raises the- Three times. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, man. You've had some real recoveries there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also, I grind my teeth so bad, I can't help but think that has something to do with it. Which that might be wrong. raises the question of why one has these usually elective surgeries mm-hmm. to begin with. There's a number of reasons. I'm looking at the Mayo Clinic site right now, and they yeah. say, according to the American Dental Association, wisdom teeth removal may be necessary if you experience changes in the area of those teeth, such as pain, repeated infection of soft tissue behind the lower last tooth, fluid-filled sacs, a.k.a. cysts, Mm -hmm. tumors, damage to nearby teeth, gum disease, extensive tooth decay. I think a lot of people, when they hear about a wisdom tooth removal, especially this late in life, they wonder, "Ah, is it really necessary? Is it just the oral surgeon trying to, you know, make a little extra buck by Mm -hmm. performing something not entirely necessary? Because you're old as fuck. I'm old as fuck. I'm sure that (laughs) happens, but by all means, if you're in a similar situation, feel free to get a second opinion or talk to someone who knows these things. For me, they were just saying that they would continue to be a problem as I got later in life and they'd make it harder to keep my teeth clean and, yeah, you know, could sense. potentially create rot on the, the back of my mouth and affect those other teeth. And when you see the aligned bite, they were just kind of hanging off the end. So they're not helping as teeth. Yeah. So huh. when the dentist took the new x-rays and said, yeah, I think it's time to get rid of these. I said, okay. So- I think I've always assumed I knew the evolutionary purpose of wisdom teeth, but now I'm asking myself, did I ever actually source this? But I assume it's that our ancestors would lose their teeth pretty young Mm -hmm. because your teeth always want to fall the fuck out of your head. They want (laughs) to rot out of your face as soon as possible, and you need to brush them constantly (laughs) to keep that from happening. And so if you did happen to survive and to say, God, can you imagine your 30s? Right. Old as fuck, then this extra set might come down and help you. That's always been the received wisdom, and I've never heard anything that Gain says that. Of course, with any evolutionary explanation, we're kind of just looking at sort of the logic of what yep, seems like true. evolution rewarded in terms of genes being passed down. Sometimes Fair. you have things that are just spandrels and happen because they don't kill us. Mm-hmm. But I think that makes all the sense in the world because back before, days of oral surgery and toothpaste toothpaste right very often you'd lose teeth by injury by whatever reason yeah and that motion of new teeth growing in and pushing from the outside could help kind of restore your functional teeth so Mm, yeah it does seem like it makes sense to 
have those come in. Makes sense to me. But what is the word you just introduced us to? Sendrils? Spendrils? Oh, spandrels. Um, spandrels. Yeah, in evolution, that's it's borrowed from architecture, where you have decorative motifs that mm. uh, look like they're holding up the structure, but they're not actually serving any real ah, function. Yeah, right. And I want to say it was Stephen Jay Gould who either coined that or popularized that. But the idea was that you have these features that just kind of make their way into the gene pool, and they never cause any problem, but they're right. also, they don't serve any particular- They're interlopers yeah. in the process. Yeah, okay. And they're kind of evolutionarily neutral. So just by contingency, by happenstance, they made their way into the gene pool. It's like that episode of The Love Boat where Charo finds her way onto the ship, and everyone's like, well, this is a stowaway, but at the same time, it's like the most pleasant stowaway, I, so let's I, just keep her. I think that was the example that Stephen Jay Gould used <laughs> when he- Describe this. Uh, Functuated equilibrium, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm very smart. (laughs) Uh, Teeth are such a weird thing. I'm sure- They want to kill you. Most people have seen this, but whenever I talk to people about teeth and we're having this conversation that we're having right now, if they haven't seen this, I quickly look up Google images so I can show them skulls of young children- who, okay, un- this, don't worry, this story's going somewhere. I'm setting this up. <laughs> who unfortunately died while their new teeth were coming in. At your home. And- <laughs> anyway, so if you look for this, you'll see. Oh, you know what? I think I have seen it. And it looks insane. Like they're dropping down like uh, flies in a theater. Just like, burr, burr, we're coming down. We're crazy. Somewhere up here, somewhere down here. Yeah, there's right? this whole just staged layer above and below. Oh, God. Yeah, it looks like those like dried lotus pods. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks okay. like that. It looks alien and weird and freaky. And of course, they've had to carve away part of the skull to reveal sure. all those teeth. <laughs> sure, yeah. But, uh, oh, my God. Teeth, teeth are just so weird. If you have that phobia of holes, you probably won't enjoy looking at this. If you want to expose yourself, go ahead. But they're like the only bone that (laughs) is supposed to appear outside the body. Yeah. That you can see. And I mean, except a boner. Like, (laughs) I guess that's still in your body, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And humans don't have a penis bone anymore. That's true. All Uh, right. (laughs) Except in, I think, rare cases. How did we get here? Yeah, how did we get here? Okay, deep. Yeah, they want to kill you. And I also think it's telling that we have a whole separate cadre of medical professionals that deal with teeth alone. Yeah. Like vision and teeth. They get carved away Mm -hmm. from all other... Bodily. And, and feet. Feet? Podiatrists. Oh, okay. Well, I guess now I'm there's, saying, There's yeah, a range right. of specialists, but you're right. like they, when it comes to insurance, yeah. you, you need like separate insurance yeah, just for right. your teeth and vision. Which just, At least in the United States. There are probably people listening to this elsewhere who are like, no, no, you don't. Yeah, people are like, that's bonkers. Well, yes, it is. Insane. It is bonkers. Yeah, but- things are fucking nuts here. It doesn't make any sense the way our medical system is set up. Those are all my thoughts on teeth. Actually, I thought this with my tonsils too, but especially with teeth, like, oh my God, it's just such a reminder that this body was quote unquote designed Mm -hmm. to die so long ago. (laughs) Like my body. We're lacking a long-term plan here. Yeah. When all these evolutionary strategies were baked in, my ancestors were living to like 50 if they were super lucky. 30, yeah. the very occasional one who lived into their like 60s or 70s. But like my body probably entered this world like bing, bang, boom. We're going to pop out 30 years. We're going to have three kids and then bye bye. Right. And I'm like, hey, no. But anyway, my teeth <laughs> still have that plan. Okay. And so every day I have You're to, ready to die now and brush them. No, your mouth, I'm not. Your That's mouth the is thing. your mouth is like Logan's run. Yeah. <laughs> 
is. It's the Logan's run of the body. That's right. Uh, segue. A similar part of the body is the tonsil. So you yes. have these fleshy goops. That's what they call them. Fleshy goops. Fleshy goops. In the back of your throat called the tonsils. And like, can you see mine? Like uh, just from see. looking at my mouth? You know, I might have to sign a light on you. Okay, down and up. Hold on. Now I've got saliva coming. <laughs> Sorry, it's such a specific angle you have to get. I don't think so. I don't think I can see yours. Okay, so tonsils are distinct from the uvula. Correct. Which is the little pendulous thing that hangs down that you That's can right. see in the back of the throat. Okay, yeah, where are tonsils? Tonsils are, oh man. Or where aren't what? they in your case? Are you asking because you don't know? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, like, that, that I, tells me how involved my tonsils have been in my I, life. I wouldn't even know where to look for them. I just, Whoa. I kind of picture them sort of like, up and back. You're pointing at the right area. Okay. Generally. I mean, I wouldn't want to drill a hole in there, but don't, don't drill, drill a hole in your head. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, they're on either side of your back tongue, very near the uvula, but a little further down. Okay. And if we shone a light down your throat, we'd see them, but okay. yours aren't oversized like mine were. And they're glands, right? Do they serve like an actual purpose? They do serve a purpose. I don't know if they're technically glands. I think they're just called like pieces of tissue, but they do serve a purpose. So they are kind of the canaries in the coal mine or the anxious mother that sees a threat coming Mm. and tells the body the threat is coming. Ah. So if you get hit with bacteria or whatever, something that may hurt your body but may not, your tonsils are like, fuck! Produce everything, get everything ready. We got to do oh. everything we can do to get this out of here. Blah, 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 and gets the whole chain reaction they going. They stand at the gate. They are the, yes. the first watchman. But they also have the anxiety levels of my mother. So everything they see mm. freaks them the fuck out. And then if you already have big ones, every time you get a sore throat, you get a little more scar tissue and they get bigger and bigger and they rub against each other. And mm. it's just really bad. That sounds miserable. Okay. Yeah. They are part of the lymphatic system. You, mm. you said lymphatically. <laughs> Does that make them a gland? I don't don't think think so. so. They're just lumps of tissue at the back of the throat. Okay, yeah. See? Glooby gloob. Says medlineplus.gov. So what can happen is if if you're a kid and you have hypertrophic tonsils, which is a fancy word for big tonsils, Mm. you are likely to get a lot of tonsil infections. Okay. Inflammation of the tonsil. Yeah, yeah. Tonsillitis, yeah. Itises of the tonsil. Now, did you get any trophies with this hypertrophy? (laughs) Not yet. Something for Ross to think about. (laughs) I'm thinking. It's like, shit, it's 11 months till her birthday. She needs a hypertrophy. Okay. Um, So if you're a kid with this problem, it usually manifests in just lots and lots of sore throats throughout the year. And I would get dozens of them, like every year. Oh, no. But as we were talking about off mic before this, we are in this one generation of kids that grew up under this reasonable assumption that, wait, now we know that the tonsils actually do something, so let's not just yank them out because they make people's throats sore. They had realized what their function was, so you want to make sure the trade-off is worth it, and they just kind of weren't confident about that yet. So it sounded like you had sort of this process of discovery, hey, we can remove tonsils and people don't die. Let's get rid of them. They look big and they're in the way. Yeah, so like my parents, who were both born in the 40s, I think they both had their tonsils out really little. Okay. Because it was just like, oh, Jimmy got a throat infection. You know what? Let's just do this while we're at it. Mm. And they take them out. And some people don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Because you can die of blood loss. But some people would just cut them out themselves. <gasps> oh, no. 
Yeah, because they do sort of exist. Like you can kind of see where their beginnings and endings oh. are. So it's like, oh a, no, yeah, oh that's awful, <laughs> yeah, bad. But it sounds kind of like with I don't know, getting chicken pox. It's better to do when you're a child. The tonsillectomy. Yeah, yeah. So when you're growing up and you get all these tonsil infections, if you're like me and you're getting them all the time, but you don't get them out, the rewards to getting them out seem fewer and fewer for most people. Okay. Because the scar tissue is going to keep building up every time you have an infection. So if you continue to have them into adulthood, then by the time you're an adult, it's going to be this really painful surgery because the doctor has to like cut through balls of scar. Mm -hmm. And you're getting fewer and fewer tonsil infections because we just naturally do after we leave childhood. So it's like the benefit costs or right. diminishing longer. returns diminishing returns exactly yeah. my, my parents didn't want me to do it so i just never did and then i used the aura ring and you saw your sleep statistics i saw that i get almost no deep sleep and i was like that's bad no wonder i'm tired all the time and also that would definitely contribute to my migraines so i got a few sleep studies and I mean, all at the same place, but it was like confirming the data. And I was right on the edge of what they call sleep apnea, which is when there's something blocking your airway while you sleep mm -hmm. and it's keeping you from taking nice deep breaths. And then that'll interfere with your sleep. So there's a couple ways that can happen. But one is that you have huge tonsils and they're just closing up the straw mm -hmm. that is the back of your mouth. And very little milkshake can get down there. Right. But I was just on the cusp of apnea. Like it wasn't technically apnea, at least by Kaiser's standard, is five incidents of stopping breathing every hour while you sleep. Which is horrifying. <laughs> right. I mean, there's probably some normal amount. So I was at four. And they were like, nope. <laughs> I was like, no. okay, cool, but I still need help. Like, fine, it's <laughs> not that, but like, help me. But then I explained to the sleep person, I was like, so when doctors look down my throat, they just go, oh, your tonsils. And he was like, oh, well, it's probably your tonsils blocking your airway. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So then I went to an ENT. Why didn't you just say that before like <laughs> we did two sleep studies? <laughs> yeah, right. So then I went to an ENT's. It was all these people... And I'm not blaming them. They were doing everything right. But all these people having this sort of low confidence in the benefit they could give me. Mm -hmm. So they're all saying like, well, go see Dave. He does ENT. Well, I mean, we can do it if you want. But like, I can't promise you it'll do anything. Okay, well, go see Jerry. He does sleep. Well, ENT, ear, nose, throat? Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't have sleep apnea. I don't know. Maybe go see Lucy. She, so it was like a lot of that. <laughs> so it was the Lucy and it was getting Tim and Ethel method. It was basically going back and forth to everybody and then repeating to them mm -hmm. that I understood that the benefit could be zero. Okay. I had to like do that a mm -hmm. lot of times. And so I would just, I would bring it up myself. I'd say like, I know this might not do anything and I would like to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, even ruling it out is enough for me. And they're like, okay, okay. So we scheduled it. I got it on July 14th, the day after my birthday. Okay. And per our last episode. Yes. I joined you in the pain relief protocol developed by the brilliant Peggy Huddleston. And she's here. Peggy Huddleston, step right up. Hello. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, that, that, that hurts? It hurts my throat. Oh, no. <laughs> Excuse me while I take some water. <clears throat> there will be no more funny voices from Carrie. <laughs> not yet. Um, Sorry, Peggy's not here. Yeah, she's not here. But if you're listening, Peggy, we'd love to talk to you. Oh, absolutely. So Peggy, as we know, 
is the author of Prepare for Surgery, Heal Faster, A Guide of Mind-Body Techniques. Ooh, this is newly revised and updated. Yes, Ooh. as of 1996. Okay. Yeah, we had listened to some of her special hypnosis tracks. Yes. Or guided imagery tracks, as I think she also calls them, where she helps you prepare for a surgery and or recover from a surgery using and special techniques. One of the main benefits is supposed to be that this guided imagery helps you think positively and essentially just takes away your fear and worry leading into the surgery, which, which she says part, puts you yeah. at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. And on the surface, that makes sense. That makes sense. But then- as we've discovered, as you paw through her website and even more in her book, she'll also make some pretty big claims about healing and the power of prayer. And Yeah, it gets uh, a little more extraordinary after that. Yeah, Reiki, you know, it gets up there. So I didn't have that yet. It actually came the day of my surgery. It came that afternoon. Okay. My surgery was in the morning. So that morning, what I knew was I was going to have Drew whisper into my ear as I was coming to mm -hmm. statements like, you did so well. You're going to recover so well. It went exactly as we thought. It was quick. You know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What if things went badly with the surgery? Like he wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> well, this is while I was asleep. So. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But I did afterward, I was like, did you accuse me of being the gassy one while I was under? And he was like, no, I did all the things you told me to do. I didn't do what you would have done. <laughs> I really thought he would. <laughs> and then also I had tweeted out for people to send me mentally a pink blanket of love mm, the mm -hmm. morning of my surgery yes. and even the day of my surgery because I didn't want people to have to worry about time zones. Okay. And do you have any indication of how many people sent their love? I would say two dozen replied like, okay, done, kind oh, of stuff. that's the right amount because yeah. she said, I think if like 20 uh, oh. sent you pink blankets of love, you would feel it in the waiting room. Oh, okay. I thought she just said three people. Either way. Either way, you're, you're past the threshold. And I'm happy to report, thank you all for sending the pink blanket. I completely fucking forgot you were doing it. And I was just in that waiting room and forgot entirely until I got back to my computer. And there were people like, I just did it. And I was like, oh, uh, I guess I didn't feel it because well, I forgot entirely. I guess that's good blinding. Yeah, sure. That was an instruction from Peggy, by the way. That's why we did that. So that was one very important preparatory step. Mm -hmm. So as I was preparing and I was telling Drew, like, say all this to me, you know, in the waiting room that you wait in to go into the OR. And this was your way of getting around having to ask any of the medical professionals to whisper said phrases at it. you. I couldn't do nah, it. No, I don't blame you. And the anesthesiologist came in and I thought he was the surgeon. This is just a side story. I thought he was the surgeon and I was horrified because he looked like he hadn't slept in days. Oh, no. And I was like, Oh, my God. Because I just read Why We Sleep. Yes. Which was so impactful. But also one of the things he said was one of my biggest pieces of life-saving advice is ask your surgeon when they most recently slept. So I'm like looking at this guy and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to actually do this. Oh, my God. And like I was trying to screw up the courage. Yeah. And he's like, I'm your anesthesiologist. And I was like, ah, oh, that's fine. <laughs> Gas me up, sir. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, you want... 
him to be alert as well. I do. I do. I certainly don't want him to be using his own product. Sure. <laughs> but but later not on as a- much as someone like cutting into my skin okay. with tiny specific tools. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe tell that anesthesiologist like, hey, when we're all done here, maybe uh, give yourself a little yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Lay down next to me. It's cool. <laughs> um, now, I probably still should have asked him. Please don't send me a dozen emails telling me how important anesthesiology is. I know it is. But that was the risk I was willing to take. Yeah, that's one of the scariest things going on there is being knocked out. That was fine. So now I'm just telling you stories. But I was also really obsessed with whether I was going to wake up during surgery Mm -hmm. or be able to perceive things that I wouldn't then remember because the drugs would block my ability to build the memory. Mm -hmm. So I was for some reason just like so focused on whether I was going to say something stupid and forget it so I wouldn't be as embarrassed as I should be. Okay, that's elaborate. This was like a real hang up for me. I kept thinking they're going to be wheeling me down and I'm going to be drugged up. And I won't have any control, so I'll just be saying stupid shit, and I'm gonna be like, "I'm the prettiest woman," or I don't know, or like I I can poop lettuce, I don't know. And then when I, then when I wake up, I won't know I said that. Oh, that'd be and awful. Then, and then they'll be thinking we know a secret about this weirdo, and I'll just be like, "Oh, thank you for doing the surgery," and I won't know to join in and be like, "I'm cool." I can't. <laughs> this is very elaborate. <laughs> Really freaking me out. That was my big worry. And this is very anesthesiologist who elaborate. Was sleep, fall asleep on me. What? I was saying it was very elaborate, and then it made me think that sounds a lot like that was very elaborate. Oh, and I was, I was. The experiment was on me. Yeah, and I was also running it, and no one else cared. Now, how much sleep did you had? Because <laughs> those are the sort of weird mental loops I'll get in when I'm really sleep deprived. Oh yeah, and like struggling to get up in the morning, my brain will get caught in something weird like. Oh, that's interesting. I did have to be there at 7 a.m., so probably not too good. But then, Ross. Ross, is it? I'm Ross. When I came to, something happened that I think I will remember for the rest of my life and that made an adult tonsillectomy worth it on its own. Yeah, this is wild. I came to and could only speak in Spanish. Yeah, you forgot English. I did not know English. And when I say speak, I actually mean write because I didn't have tonsils. So presumably you're waking up, parts of your brain are starting to fire back up again, but that mm-hmm. little Broca's region of the brain hasn't quite woken up yet. Yes. So it's a numbers game is what happens. Like, So when you wake up, don't worry, I've read all the anesthesiology literature now about this, so I can tell you about it. When you wake up naturally, your brain wakes up in a pretty predictable order, this part and then this part. Maybe this part's worrying, but like we kind of have an idea of like who's on first. What's on second? <laughs> With anesthesia, when you come to, the brain is just like, I don't know, maybe this guy, now this, I don't know, let's send some electricity over here. What about here? Blah. So <laughs> your first language is stored in this region. You were just describing the broker region. Yeah. And when you learn a secondary language, that broker region is basically done. It's like, no thanks. I am not helping mm. with this. I am so busy. When you wait and, too late in life and mm-hmm. you you learn as an adult or- Yeah, yeah okay. or even like 
10. Okay. But then the rest of your brain is like, oh shit, the CEO's out of town. We got to all band together mm-hmm. to do this because we were not prepared for it. She so needs hold. to communicate. Right. So there's this whole network of parts of my brain that speak bad Spanish <laughs> and one part that speaks really good English. So if you've got this numbers game of popcorn, wake up the brain, yeah, your odds are pretty good that you get someone who speaks shit Spanish and not good English because there's only one guy who does that. So it keeps pinging the little English center and saying like, well, I'll try you again later. In yep. the meantime, can someone help us? Anybody? And then they're like, hola. <laughs> So Yeah, like you sent me some papers that you'd been writing. Yeah, to on, the nurse and Drew. And you're saying things like, ¿Cómo se dice <laughs> gracias en inglés? ¿Cómo se dice en inglés? <laughs> yo, yo sé inglés. No, no sé por qué no puedo hablar, pero eh, ¿cómo se dice? So they gave me paper because they know I just can't speak because of my throat, right? Right. So they give me paper and... I want to write thank you. The very first thing I thought was like, I have to say thank you. They're going to think I'm so like ungrateful if I don't say thank you. And they and just did something really nice for me. They took my tonsils out. And I was and like, I have you to wrote, say. I poop lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did write. Here, let me find it. Somehow I feel like a t-shirt is coming out of this. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I poop lettuce. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was going to be what I wrote on this thing, but okay. So first I tried to say it. I realized I couldn't talk. Mm -hmm. So then I tried to do the American Sign Language thank you from my chin. Curious. Yeah. Tapping her chin. Thank you. Okay. She didn't know what that meant. So then I like made a writing motion. So she goes and she gets paper. She brings it to me and I write, probe decir gracias. I tried to say thank you. Mm. And then as I wrote it, I was like, I'm having this own reaction as if I'm ghostwriting, you know, yeah. or, or channeling. Like, Automatic uh, writing. Yeah. I'm like, what? That's not right. That's not what I'm Your brain to knows say. enough to know like, wait a second. That's not the usual output. Right. So she sees that and she goes, oh, <laughs> hablas español. So now I'm thinking like, well, I do if I have to. Sí, por but that's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to talk to you in. But she only speaks English. She just knows how to say hablas español. <laughs> so then Drew's standing next to me and he's like, I don't know what's happening, but she does speak English. <laughs> so so she starts talking to him and so I'm like, weird. I know. And I'm like, I'm going to clear this up. So I write down, <laughs> no recuerdo como decir en inglés. I don't remember how to say it in English. And then they're still talking and they'll come and they'll look at what I've written. And every time they nod at me like, that wasn't helpful. We're going to go back to talk to each other. Now you have this situation you you were afraid of under anesthesiology. (laughs) They're like, let's just nod and smile. (laughs) So then I write, estoy probando aprender español. I am trying to learn Spanish. (laughs) I didn't even have apparently enough confidence to say I'm learning Spanish. And y no puedo recordar cómo decir in English. And I don't remember how to say this in English. And then I did write, weird, ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's firing back up. (laughs) Yeah, something's coming alive. Okay, but then the next thing I write that is inexplicable because Drew is standing next to me is, quiero ver a mi prometido which means I want to see my fiance. Okay. Then there's three hearts, but he's standing right there. So he was like, I'm here. Then it gets to English. I said, very thankful. Thank you. No tonsils, tonsils, bad, no thanks. (laughs) And then Broca must have gone away because it says, no recuerdo como decir en inglés. I keep saying that. I can't remember how to say this in English. Gracias. And then I write... (laughs) 
in quotation marks, thank you, question mark. <laughs> it just doesn't and look then, right, huh? And then, es correcto? <laughs> and how well do you remember what was going through your head at the time? All I remember now, I mean, I could basically see it, but like, I know I wasn't scared. I was confused. I was like almost amused. Yeah. Not amused, maybe bemused. <laughs> right. But a few people have asked me if I was scared and I definitely wasn't like, what's happening? Am I stuck this way or anything like that? I was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> then the next thing I wrote is, I am Emma Watson now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. The nurse had said to me at some point as I was coming to, she said to Drew, she looks just like Emma Watson. The other nurse said so too. Oh, So okay. I guess I, I am absorbed Emma Watson that enough now. to write, I am Emma Watson now. Then Drew asked me how I was doing, and I wrote grateful, tolerable, sad for Connor, a man who had just been kicked off the Bachelorette. <laughs> oh, wow. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So then... I'm pretty much back in English, I say. Could only remember how to say it in Spanish. And by this point, he's like, we get it. Uh, Tell them they did a good job. Tonsils, bye-bye, no thanks. And then I wrote, eres el jefe, you're the boss. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the bottom of this, Drew saw this note and said, oh, she's back. I wrote, I love instructions. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) He's like, she's fine now. Sign of Carrie. Sign of life. So, oh wow. yeah, I also told Drew, I love you, Drew. You put the star in Starbucks. All right. That's one to chew on. Huh. So, wow, what an adventure. So worth it. I don't yeah. even care what happens now. It was worth the pain. The oh struggle. my God. It was so painful, Ross. Yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah, the reason we're talking about it. Right. We do this podcast where we try different things that. Uh, <laughs> at how long I was telling you these stories that have nothing to do with anything. It is this, no, this 40 is good, minutes. This is a good go preamble. <laughs> but you were going into all this and, and I was leaving for summer camp, which by the way, I came back from Camp Quest West, the best in all the West. You should sign up to be a counselor. You should send your kids if they're ages eight through 14 or maybe 15 to 17 if you want them to be LTs. Anyways, I just came back from that and I was getting little updates from you every now and then mm-hmm. on just how painful and rough and difficult this all was. Oh my God. People are not kidding about adult tonsillectomies. You haven't had a C-section, so you can't compare there. True, but my friend who had one said her tonsillectomy was 100 times more painful. Another person told me that they had had, quote-unquote, natural birth, meaning no medicine involved. And they also had an adult tonsillectomy, and they said the tonsillectomy was twice as painful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, mothers, sorry. But I've been through something <laughs> at least as bad. Just kidding. I'm sure it varies. Speaking of camp, I was talking to my friend Frank, and he kind of backed up your theory there about a whole generation of people missing out on the tonsillectomy train. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be people roughly our age, like late 70s to early 80s, they kind of stopped doing this. And now you have all these adults who are arriving in adulthood with sleeping problems. Yep. And that happened to him. Frank had his tonsils removed and he said his sleep just immediately got oh, incredibly better. He was sleeping like a baby. We'll get to- uh, We'll get there. And I'm not at what they would consider a full recovery because okay. my throat still is scratchy. All right. Um, Remains to be seen. Yeah, but fingers crossed. So I took a log of all the pain medication I was taking over the course of this so that I could see whether the homeopathic pain medicine we got could make any dent. Just like I had some homeopathy 
given to me by my apothecary. I played the apothecary in Romeo and Juliet. Okay. In you, high school. Wow. Well, then you have probably as much experience in training as any other homeopathist. <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe not. But maybe as much relevant. So on the first day, I had all the drugs from the hospital, right? From Yeah. They give you stuff while you're under. Yeah, would so, they give you, give you anything good? <laughs> they did give me a prescription for oxycodone. I assume that's what you mean. Oh, yeah. And I was very careful with it. I could have taken it four times a day, but I only took it twice because oh, wow. I wanted to get to baseline every day because I didn't want to develop any tolerance, and that's how you do it. Sure, So yeah. I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to make sure that every single day I feel this as raw as it is, and then I start over, I'm going to do it. Oh, wow, okay. Which sucked. It did hurt incredibly, but I'll say this. I've talked to a few friends now who said, oh, it gets so much worse around day five, and your scabs are coming off then. That could be the entire explanation, but I was like, were you on opiates? And every single one of them had been and had taken them consistently during those five days. And I was like, that's about when you, you start to become So um, you wanted to buy yourself taller. kind of a longer yeah. pain schedule. So my pain never got worse. Okay. Not once. Okay. It got better consistently. So who knows what that means, but there's okay. one anecdote. Maybe worth it. So I did tell Drew I wouldn't take this Arnica Montana until day three because he could see how much pain I was in. He was like, please don't skip. Please don't. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, okay, I won't until day three. Good and call. I think I still didn't take it till day six. Oh, wow. But don't worry, I was still in an immense amount of pain. Yeah, oh, goodness. You've been recovering from this for a while. And even a few days ago, you were saying you didn't know if you could record an episode and talk that long. Yeah, I was This like, is probably the most you've talked in quite a while. Definitely. I was like, worst case scenario used my text-to-speech app through the whole episode, which... <laughs> yeah, it would be an interesting bit. <laughs> yeah, And a lot yeah, of typing. Yeah. By the way, everyone, write Carrie emails and tell her that she sounds exactly like me now. <laughs> it's an inside joke. Oh, no, did she heard us? Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, you don't have to cover your mouth to talk into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would shield it from you, and then you couldn't no. hear me. No. Oh, shoot. Boy. Boy, you're dumb. Um, so... First day, I took Aleve, Tylenol, Oxycodone, Aleve. Next day, Oxycodone, Liquid Tylenol, Aleve, Liquid Tylenol, Oxycodone, Aleve. Oh, man. THC syrup, which I did have to wait for the Oxycodone to be gone for that to be safe, and I did. Liquid Tylenol the next day, then Oxycodone, then Aleve, then THC syrup, then Liquid Tylenol, then Liquid Tylenol. This could be another hour of episode of me just listing the shit I had to take. Wow, okay. To have this be bearable. It was so painful. But on day six... I finally took the homeopathic arnica. And what do you reckon happened? All your pain magically went away? I would love to tell you, Ross, but first I want to tell you about Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Oh, Carrie, tell me about it. It sounds great. I don't know much about it. It appears to be a game. Oh, that's right. I'm our resident Best Fiends expert. You've heard me talk about Best Fiends. It is a game you play on your phone, and I like having games on my phone. That's key. It's a nice way to just break away for a moment, do something fun. It's always with yeah. you. It follows you around. It's free to download. Good. It's casual, but it's also, it's like puzzle solving. Okay. You collect- I consider myself both of those things. Casual and puzzle solving. Yeah. If you like colorful designs and bugs and this world that you get to scroll through. If you don't like slugs, especially black slugs who have it in for these bugs- you get to defeat them, mm. but apparently not in a way that kills them or anything. They just get kind of like 
shunted off the screen. Got so it. don't worry. There's no like slug violence or anything. Got like it. Got that. it. You're just, just wanna... like, I'm helping you relocate. It's like the slug's moving. You're helping them back. And I'm getting so close. You can see here I am on level 2,248. Ooh, that's kind of a fun wow. progression of even numbers. And I am almost on the threshold of dreamland. I just need to beat a few levels. And look at this. I'll be in dreamland. Oh, my gosh. It's- that's amazing. Every night, Drew and I ask each other where to find each other in dreamland. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, yeah. it turns out it's a little theme park here in this game. But I'm still in New Might City for now. Uh, yeah, you collect bugs. You upgrade them. They help you solve these puzzles. It's super fun. I'm totally into it. Nice. Yeah. I... This is here's the big confession. I just don't play games on my phone. But if I were to play a game mm-hmm. on my phone, it would be Best Fiends. This would be the one. I do got to show you this, Carrie. I was just showing this to Car and Andrew last night because now there's a new challenge in the game called the Minutian Marathon. Mm. Look at the animation on this bug <laughs> running. <laughs> <laughs> that has, has to be the silliest. Very sneaky grin the, on. One of the like, s- I'm jacking and you can't stop One of the silliest run cycles I've ever seen, but it's very entertaining. You know who that reminds me of? Who does that remind you of? Martin Short as Clifford. Like the Red Dog? No. Oh, it's this cult classic movie. It's great. But anyway, he plays like a very naughty little boy. Okay. And it kind of has that vibe. Anyways, many of our listeners have not only downloaded Best Fiends and played it, but they've connected with me on there. So I've got a bunch of of friends now and I can see them. Friends on your feet. I can see them catch up to me and beat me. Oh, look at all these people right behind me. If you want to add me, my number is 2350912. And there's thousands of puzzles on there. There sure are. I'm working my way through them. And you know there's collectible characters and they just keep coming. And Best Friends releases new challenges and characters and themes all the time just to keep you on your toes. That's what they do. Strategically team up with other characters based on their special abilities to gain extra points and items to level up your fiends. So, download the five-star rated puzzle game, Best Fiends. It's free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. I do like food, though. That's also important. Yes, I like games, I like food. Man does not live on mobile games alone. Correct. And I also really like a good meal service. Me too, especially because when I sign up for, let's say... Hello Fresh. Okay, great example. They send food right to my door. It's already the right amount to make the food that I signed up for, so it's elective. I got to choose which like ones I actually wanted to eat exactly. <laughs> and it's less painful than your surgery. <laughs> and it's less painful than a tonsillectomy. It, it might involve some chopping. It might involve some... Mm, so did my surgery. <laughs> oh, indeed. It might involve some boiling. Nope, none of that. Okay, none of that. Damn. might involve some uh, time in the oven. Thankfully, also not involved in your surgery. <laughs> and it gives me an opportunity. I'm not the cook in the family. My wife is an amazing cook. But when we get the meal service with HelloFresh, that's my time to shine and prove that I can actually cook if I follow directions. And like Carrie, I love instructions. Perfect, because they come with some. They sure do. Yeah, you have beautifully illustrated instructions to show you what you need to do step by step and what the finished product is going to look like. And it's America's number one meal kit. Number one, USA. And they have 50 menu and market items each week. There's vegetarian meals, obviously. That's great. Or we wouldn't be telling you about it. And there's extra special gourmet options as well. Mm -hmm. And there's something for everybody. And the recipes are also designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and 
simplicity. It is delicious. It's the right amount of food, too. So you can order it for, you know, two people or four people. And they'll oh, right. feed you all. Hey, portions. Uh. And they offer the flexibility you need to easily customize your order. They have an app, so you can use that to do so. And you can change your delivery day if you need to, change your food preferences. Maybe you want to make your plan size bigger or smaller. You want to skip a week. There's like lots of flexibility. You're in charge here. Eres el jefe. Here, Carrie, I can show you some of the meals I've made. Mm. All right. Check out this amazing pasta. Ooh, nice. That looks yummy. Yeah. And then look at these quesadillas with black beans. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Quite tasty. Pretty, very fresh looking. Hello. Hello. And then this Mediterranean dish. Ooh, is that couscous? Yeah. And I usually I don't elect for Mediterranean food, but this came out quite that's nicely. That's right. That's not usually your fave. With uh, asparagus and, yeah, really nice cheese. Yeah, it was good stuff. So, yeah, if you've been wanting to try out a home delivery meal service, well, guess what? We've got the best opportunity for you to do that. There's no reason why you wouldn't sign up for it right now because what can you do, Carrie? You can go to HelloFresh.com slash Ono14, that's one four, and use code Ono14 for up to 14 meals plus free shipping. What? That's HelloFresh.com slash Ono14 and code Ono14 for up to 14 free meals. That's wild. Why wouldn't you do that? Oh, no. This is actually one of those incidents where the number is precise up to 14 makes sense it's not like over <laughs> more 10. than 27 if you sign up send us a picture of your meal yeah the first thing you cook we want to see it yeah there you go unless the first thing you cook is your own butt then i don't want to see it hopefully that's not on the HelloFresh menu <laughs> i don't think it probably is oh but ross yes carrie we also have a jumbotron <gasps> that's right and it's for mom Hi, Mom, <laughs> also known as Roxanne. And it's from Grace. Oh, yeah, that's that famous uh, police song. Yeah, yeah, Where Grace. Sting sings. Grace. <laughs> to her mom, Roxanne. And she says, <laughs> happy birthday, Mom. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you for showing me on Rack. I love talking about it with you and all things skeptical. And I know Grandpa Bill would have loved the podcast and talking about it with us too. You're my rock and my biggest supporter. I wouldn't be who or where I am today without you. I love you. Aww. That's wonderful. That's so sweet. And I love who are all these cool moms who keep turning people on to our podcast? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing, Roxanne. <laughs> oh, God. Coolest moms ever. Truly. Grace seems cool, too. Also, Roxanne, it appears the same birthday as my mom, August 11th, because this says... They would prefer us to get this out as close to August oh, 11th as possible. So wow. I'm going to guess okay. that- So we're a little early with this. That Grace's mom, Roxanne, and was Grace, born on August 11th. Grace, you don't have to put on the red light. <laughs> you, you just don't. <laughs> but you can. You know what? It's a viable profession. But that's very sweet. Happy yeah. birthday, mom. Slash Roxanne. Okay. So now you can tell me, Yeah. Kay, how'd this go? Not well. Okay. It didn't do anything. What? You're saying Hannah Montana's <laughs> sister, Arnica, did, oh, yeah, did right. not immediately make all your pain it, subside? No, it didn't. It didn't. So as I suggested you do with your teeth, I would just take it instead of one 
round of a single medication. So like okay. I was taking medicine staggered by a couple hours, you know, because it'd be like Tylenol, then two hours later, something that works not processed through my liver, something, yeah, gotcha. so that my body could have a break. So I would take out, say, one time when I was going to take an leave, I would just cross it out and take the Arnica. Yeah. And I did that for a few days. You put and I four would, tiny pills under your tongue. Yeah, you put them under your tongue. You let them dissolve. Did that for several days. And I would find this is so weird. During the following four hours, yeah. I'd have like this sudden jump in my baseline pain. What? It was like it made it worse. Weird. Yeah, that feels like correlation there. So this is something I hadn't really thought about. Reasonably responsibly, the pharmacist on the phone had told me, talk to your doctor, don't just not take your pain pills, but it's safe to take it with your pain pills, mm-hmm. right? Right. Which is certainly better advice than don't take your pain pills. But it also set me up for doing this, which then made it seem like the Arnica made my pain worse when it was actually just taking away that time slot for an effective medicine. Sure. Kind of a funny result. It was allowing you just to have a window where you felt the pain that you wouldn't have felt because there would have been an effective medication blocking it. Right. So as I was telling you before, I was always trying to let myself return to baseline Mm -hmm. anyway, and now I was returning to baseline at least twice a day. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that fucking blew. Okay. So we've certainly covered it before on the podcast, but yet again, homeopathy does not live up to the hypeopathy. Yeah, it's too bad. And just in case this is your first time hearing that, there's a lot of really good stuff on it. And we've done a few episodes, so you can go back to one that focuses on this more. But one very important thing to note is that sometimes people will use the word homeopathic when that's not what they mean. They mean herbal medicine. Right. That's not the case here. But I mention it because you can take as much true homeopathy as you want. Nothing will happen because it's just sugar and water. But herbs you can take too many of and give yourself a real problem. So do just, be mindful. Just a warning. Yeah, if something says it's homeopathy, still do look at the label. Yeah. Make sure there's not some sneaky zinc in there or something yes, else. Yes, absolutely. Or like St. John's Ward or something that's right, quite active. Right, So I would say that was a bust. Did you uh, follow up at all with the meditation? I did it quite a bit after the surgery. I did it mm, maybe twice before the surgery. Okay. And then several times after the surgery, I did it again today. It's a very nice, calming thing to do. Yeah, I prefer the one without the musical accompaniment because that's grating. It's bizarre. It's the wrong music. Focus your awareness on your right arm and your right hand all the way down to your fingertips. Relax your right arm down to your elbow, your wrist, your hand, your fingers. Is that music? It's, it's like wrong, a metronome. Sounds, yes, yeah. the wrong sounds. Yeah. I have really complex thoughts about this. Okay, so for the tape itself, first of all, I don't know why she doesn't say anything about surgery or healing. Yeah, it's she, so weird. It's so general. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But then she that's gets, what it's being sold as, right. is specifically for healing. But from then surgery. on her website and in her book, she gets way more specific about things to picture, like picture your body healing. If they were repairing a muscle, picture the frayed ends of the muscle coming together and being sewn up. Cool. Put that in your meditation. <laughs> Say that to me, lady. Don't make me buy your $13 book. <laughs> uh, but I bought her $13 book. 
read about two thirds of it, I'll be honest, but it felt a lot like Kimberly Meredith. Hmm. I felt like, okay, you're probably sincere. You might even, to some degree, recognize like there's a real value in quote unquote conventional medicine, but mm-hmm. there's also an audience for alternative medicine, and let's try to bridge the gap a little. And I think there are some very, very careful ways you can do that. I don't know that this is careful enough. Okay. And there were times where she would invoke these kind of spiritual, not evidence-based explanations for things, Mm -hmm. and then she would do a little bit of CYA, cover your ass, where she would say, but, you know, talk to your doctor. I'm starting to call it in my head negligent CYA because Ah. it's like, I know I'm supposed to say this, so don't sue me. But you just like threw in there that my brain might be able to cure my thing on its own. Mm -hmm. So you know where my brain's going to go with that, regardless of whether you say this little extra sentence. Right. And there was quite a bit of that. And then a lot of references to studies that we mentioned this in the last episode. But then I'd look up the study and be like, this isn't really what you're saying or doesn't really bolster your point. Okay. Or in some cases it would be like, Okay, you're right. This study from 1991 with 20 people kind of got that result. Blinding wasn't great, but at the time, okay. But She'll since, turn a meager result into a glowing recommendation. But in the case I'm thinking of right here, also it would be like, but since then, lots of studies have been done on that thing and been much better designed and not found that result. Uh, and we don't just get to like keep referring to Dave's study. But I like Dave's study and <laughs> right. that one gives me my talking point and right. I don't want to have to do all this reading and yep. keep up with the literature. And then the other thing, this was really interesting. She had two pieces of advice that sounded really good to me at the outset. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to do that. And one was good, and one I actually found counterproductive. Which would you rather hear first? Let's hear the good one. Okay. So she said to write out three goals for yourself Okay. for the surgery so that you could picture them consistently. So the first goal would be like, I come out of surgery, things have gone well, I see my partner next to me, the pain is tolerable, I can pee easily. Okay. You know, stuff like okay. that, right? That yeah, might yeah. be goal one. Then goal two might be like partway through your recovery. So in my case, I wrote, I don't have any more visible scabs and I have my voice back. Okay. So I'm at two right now, right? And then the third is the totally completed results. So I wrote like Ah. no more inflammation, no pain, and I can breathe easier at night. That's all good advice and doesn't require any kind of external (laughs) verification. Yeah. Um, That's just advice from a buddy. Yeah, it was helpful to just get through because I love crossing off things. And so it was really rewarding to be like, okay, good. I I did the one. There's three and I did one of them. You know, Mm -hmm. like that really Mm -hmm. helps. So I found that really useful. And then another thing she said was don't focus on the bad outcome. And we talked about this in the first episode, how I thought this sounded like great advice. She was like saying don't ruminate on whether you're going to be in the 5% of people who have a complication or... Right. In the interview, I remember she was giving the example of this guy who had just horribly pessimistic views of how his surgery was going to turn out. And I'm mm. probably going to die or, <laughs> or you know, like, you know, I'll be... Or I'll lose the, a limb. For the rest of my life, I will be, you know, oh, forever right. set back. And so her example for him was just suggesting like, or did you think maybe getting this new heart will give you a new lease on life? Right. And then he just said, oh, I well, never thought of it I like never that. thought of it. Yeah, like, <laughs> 
I'm sure <laughs> that's exactly that. how this conversation went. There's quite a bit of that in this book. Okay. Where she's like, and then I gently suggested, and they said, you're such a genius. Wow. Um, I would have never, ever thought yeah. of the slightly positive spin on this. <laughs> yeah. This sounded, though, like reasonably good advice because going into it, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I should be prepared for the possibility that I'm in that 5%, etc. So, yeah, I'm going to imagine like, no, I have like a pretty quick and easy recovery. Such the wrong move. Such the wrong move. So the recovery was a window. They told me like two to four weeks is average, which is a big window. Two to four, yeah. Yeah. Some, Could be two weeks or double that. Right. Some adults will get to a week, but it's like pretty rare. And so when I would think like, well, for me, it's going to be two weeks, mm-hmm. then as two weeks approached and my throat hurt like fuck and I knew it wasn't happening, it was a real downer. Oh. And then when I instead turned to the principles I've learned through like acceptance commitment therapy, which is an evidence-based mental health program, and just said like, well, okay, my odds are like 70% that it'll be gone within two weeks or 30% that it's not. And both of those outcomes are going to be okay. Okay. I'm just going to be okay either way. And I'm just going to let it be okay either way. When I could do that, when I could get there, it was just completely bearable. Just kind of a sober assessment of here's here's the ranges and uh, let's prepare myself for all of the above. Yeah. And I'm going to picture myself being okay in both outcomes. Instead of I'm going to picture one outcome over the other, I'm going to picture myself being fine, yeah. even if it's four weeks and I'm like, shit, it was four weeks. I got to get more books or whatever. You're like, yeah. That's going to be fine. And if you happen to have been within that two week period, then it would have been rainbows and sunshine and yeah, great. You know, better, then sure. it worked. You write her a testimonial. She puts it in her next <laughs> book. But it's nice that you were able to you try that first mm-hmm. and then go through the pits of despair and <laughs> arrive back at a, yeah. a rational position. That was really interesting. It was kind of a new spin on the downsides sometimes of like simplistic positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Like there's the healthy positive, which is like there's a range of things that could happen and I'm going to make sure for myself that I'm going to be okay with them Yeah. versus I am going to be the best. I am going to be in the top 1%. And that is the only outcome. And I'm thinking positively by thinking this absurd thing. I uh, immediately picture... One time I was at a park and this woman was just walking around the edge of a tennis court that was next to us. And she was yelling out loud, I am beautiful. I am wealthy. I am. And she just had all these little positive statements. I don't know if she was listening to a tape or she'd memorize (laughs) this or something, but just very loudly proclaiming these wonderful things about herself. And I thought, oh, I want to make a podcast. Yeah, I I, I really want to know what you're having. And that woman was me. That's how we met. That's how we. (laughs) That would be great if that was our origin story. So, yeah, I don't think either of those things were particularly useful. The book also is exactly what you'd expect. Mm -hmm. You've highlighted stuff. Read me a random highlight. Okay. Hands-on healing in the operating room. At New York Presbyterian Hospital slash Columbia in New York, Dr. Mehmet Oz, a cardiothoracic surgeon, has experimented with having two people giving hands-on healing to the patient while he performs heart surgery. He finds it comforts patients and appears to speed healing. I wrote, that sounds in the way. (laughs) You had me at Presbyterian. You lost me at Oz. (laughs) But is he really 
doing heart surgery and having two other people putting their hands on them? Like, is he? I don't know. Get out of the fucking way. <laughs> also, how are you comforted when you're under anesthesia? What's this story? What's it for? Yeah, is that real? Do we even is believe it real? that? Yeah, then there's that. Did he even say it? If he said it, was it true? There's not always, a quote. There's always that step. Before I react to this and waste my... <laughs> my precious bank of outrage or whatever. <laughs> do I even believe this happened? Yeah, sure. I feel like I have to do that often with, you know, Bible stories or something like, sure. okay, they killed all of these people. Did they really though? Yeah, sure. Um, but okay, then someone did write it thinking that the story was supposed to make me feel feeling A when it's actually making me feel feeling B. I guess that's relevant. It's very and complex. And sure, if you're competently doing the heart surgery portion itself, then it shouldn't matter if someone else is standing over there putting their hands on someone. Yes. Fine. Fine. Wash your hands. Okay, here's another passage. Truth is evolving. As you listen to your inner wisdom, you'll discover that truth is not fixed. It is alive and evolving. What may be true now may be but a half-truth tomorrow. Hmm. As you attune to your inner knowing, you'll realize it always tells you the next truth as it emerges. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at first I could find a way to make that applicable. Truth is evolving. Sure. We learn new things all the time. Yes. You need to be constantly reevaluating. We update our understanding. Of but truth. it kind of lost me when it got to, I, I feel like there's this sense of that evolving nature of truth that treats it all as just arbitrary. Yes. You know, oh, something that you know to be true now, like it was saying, could be just completely false tomorrow or only a half truth. Not really. Yeah. Like if we have good reasons for believing something, new information that comes along has a tall hurdle. It's got to explain everything that the previous truth did and put that previous truth in context. You know, like Einsteinian relativity comes along and it doesn't completely do away with Newtonian mechanics, those are still relevant. They just kind of work on a different scale, and this gives us a more fine-tuned understanding. So I I guess I take umbrage at that. I do too, but for a different reason. That's interesting because you are using truth the way she is. Truth is a synonym for like theory or or body of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I, as I was reading this, was thinking like, well, truth with a capital T has nothing to do with me, right? Like Mm. there is an objective reality. And yes, my understanding of it gets updated, Mm -hmm. but that truth is consistent. It had nothing to do with me. Right. And in that case, truth doesn't change. Right. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. So the only way I can make this make sense for me with that definition of truth is like if I said, well, yesterday the population of this room was three, but today the population of this room <laughs> is two. Okay, okay. Then sure, but that's a useless sentiment. I didn't need you to write in a book for me. Right. And then it borders on the line of uh, deepity, deepity, you know, profound if true, but not true or not particularly relevant uh, or interesting. Or yeah, it, it's either... True but obvious. <laughs> yes, right. That's yeah, the other I think option. It's, I think it's true but obvious <laughs> yep. or profound but false. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. a Daniel Dennettism. Yeah, so this book is littered with a vague reference to a study and then me underlining the people who wrote it and being like, oh, I have to go look this up now. And then write down like, well, no, not well-controlled, larger, better-designed study. So there's just a bunch of that I won't put you through. But We never mentioned that we loved her mentioning that every class she teaches – Someone raises their hand and says, 
<laughs> donating a kidney. Is it in the interview she gives? Yes. Okay, she gives I this, love this, this moment. one radio interview that we, <laughs> we talked about a little bit in the last episode that we both listened to, where she tells an anecdote that uh, <laughs> I found moderately amusing. Ross it's, found very amusing. <laughs> it, it sparked our literal brains. Yeah. Yeah, she said, every time I teach one of these lectures, someone raises their hand and says, I'm donating a kidney next week for my sister. Can you please tell me how to have a more successful surgery? And there are these tiny, like, vocal tics we use to indicate, I'm coming up with this example on the fly, but she doesn't do them in this sentence. So it just sounds like she's actually saying the thing that everyone says every time. They raise their hand and they say, I'm donating a kidney to my sister next week. So we immediately picture 14 lecture halls and 14 Excuse individuals me. raising their hand. Excuse me. I'm donating a kidney next to week to my sister. She's like, I know you all have that question. <laughs> so obviously not the point she's making, but that's, no. that's how she said it. No, but here's the thing. You have to make a little sound so we know you're coming up with an example. It's that's true. right. Or we're going to picture it that way. Yeah, you have to say, every talk I give, someone goes, uh, I'm giving a kitty to my sister. <laughs> See, you knew that was an example on the fly, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yep. See? You're right. That's those, how it's done, those Peg. Noise, those noises would have helped. <laughs> That's what she said. I did want to say, though, it was very hard to pee after it was came out it? of the anesthesia. Even I with Drew's whispering? I don't think I told him to specifically tell me I'd pee well. That was your number one goal. <laughs> yeah, I like it. But I didn't know that that was a thing. And even when you told me, oh, picture yourself being able to pee or whatever, I was like, what a weird thing. Is that a recovery from, a thing, anesthesia from anesthesia thing? Okay. Yeah. Well, so I was goodness. sitting on the toilet and I was like, what the fuck? I can't pee. And I came out and I said to Tree, like, it's like I'm constipated, but with pee. Do you know how long you were under? So the actual surgery is 15 minutes. And then I think he said there's 15 minutes of like twilight okay. area on either side. Okay. I feel like my time span was similar, but I didn't have the language thing. I didn't have any pee troubles. So hmm. sounds like I dodged a bullet. Or, or this worked, the meditation so MP3. Right. But I got the real gains <laughs> because I can tell that story forever and I'm going to write yeah. anesthesia oh. journals and I'm, I'm going to be like, I was one of the ones. I'm jealous. My broken German would have been amazing. <laughs> oh my God. I also, <laughs> I bet I'm one of the few people who you can track it in writing. Yeah. Because for most people, they wake up and they can speak and they speak right. in this language. Yeah. No, that's very so, cool. So, yeah, I'm going to send the pictures of the... In fact, if you're an anesthesiologist and you're listening to this and you want to see the pictures, they're on my Instagram, but also email me and talk to me about this. <laughs> and I think we're bumping into the same larger philosophical problem that we always have with our informal experiments on these things is that we are a sample size of two. And there's a reason we always refer to studies and the quality of those studies. It's because you need to have multiple people try any of these things before you even get a glimmer of an idea that maybe it's effective or not. Mm -hmm. You need to control for other things that could be pretending to be that effect. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be great if somehow we could have the surgery and then rewind the tape and do it again and try mm. something different. 
You know, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, for science, if I could do that, I could have my wisdom teeth removed and then go back and have them removed again. And this time I don't listen to the meditation CD. I have a pitch for you. Yeah. Get your tonsils removed. Oh, somebody's changing their tune. (laughs) (laughs) Well, lower stakes. I I freely admit. Next Max Fun Drive. (laughs) (laughs) Help Russ get his tonsils that have never been a problem. He wasn't even really aware they existed. He wasn't sure where they were in his mouth. Removed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no good. But I mean, this is why we need science. This is why we need trials because you can't roll back the tape and try it again. The closest thing we get is twin studies, which Mm -hmm. scientists always love when you have twins who are genetically very, very similar Mm -hmm. and you can try something on them. Or if it's something where there's like a radial symmetry to it, where you can try it on the left side of the body Mm -hmm. and not on the right. And, you know, sometimes you can do an experiment like that. Sometimes you get those kind of direct matchups. But generally, we don't have that advantage. And the only way to know something is effective is to try it on many, many different people. And use, as you're saying, use all these controls and randomization and blinding to right, eliminate all these problems. There's so many ways to introduce bias and mm-hmm. subjectivity. So with our experiments that we do, we love to share our anecdotes and stories and things that we've heard and read. But always keep that in mind. We are a sample size of two. Yeah. But we'll continue doing it. <laughs> For you. Speaking of which, we we should wrap up because I need to bleed out for one of our upcoming episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also my throat (laughs) hurts. So that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our editor is Victor Figueroa, and our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations, future surgeries, by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And you can also support us by telling a friend, by having a mom named Roxanne, and mm. letting yes. her get you into the podcast. I think I've got the order of causality backwards here, but you get the idea. Tell a friend, get someone <laughs> else into it, and leave us a positive review. That really helps. And we have social media if you're into it. We have Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Podcast. And we have Facebook. We have Facebook. On Rock O N R I C. Fuck that company, truly. Fuck them to hell. But we haven't figured out how to back up our. Well, I know how to back it up. We haven't figured out how to make the switch. If you want to make the switch for us, let us know. And maybe in three years, we'll email you back about it. And remember Peggy, you're not a medical doctor. So, how did you come to write this book about preparing for surgery? Patricia, for years I've taught courses and what people can do with their emotions and attitudes to speed their physical healing process. In a class of about 50 people that I'd be teaching in New York and Paris or Amsterdam or London, there'd always be someone who would raise their hand and say, I'm having surgery next week. I'm giving my kidney to my sister. Is there anything I can do to lessen my pain? for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights and Fights. A backdropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum. And I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Loblin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights.
every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.